Hello and welcome to episode number 128 of Their Giants podcast. I am, as always, your host, Roger Munter, and it is my thrill to have on this week my friend, my former colleague from McCrubby Chronicles, my current fellow Substack family writer, I guess, uh, <laughs> Doug Brizzoni, who writes the the delightful uh, It Would Be Nice If the Giants Weren't Bad Substack newsletter. Doug, how are you doing? How are the things in the capital city of Sacramento? Uh, I'm good. You know, it's uh, it's been a it's been a fun time. Uh, people were very into the, the Kings and it didn't obviously the series didn't go the way we wanted, but it was still kind of fun series. They they didn't fall on their faces. So, you know, it's baby steps. They were a really, really fun team this year, actually. And and before we devolve into yeah, uh, baseball, perhaps in the spirit of of Logan Webb, we should say a fond uh uh, Requiem for the Kings, who really did have one of the most exciting seasons in the NBA. And I know you're a big Kings fan. Uh, were you actually there yesterday? I was. No, we were not there yesterday. We we only went to one game this year, um, which they won. And honestly, you know, when they started the beam, I was like, okay, I mean, it's just kind of a thing. But you go there and they win the game and they light the beam. You're like, you know what? It's cool. I, it just <laughs> It's just cool. It kind of is. I mean, every team should have their own little gimmick, really. Uh, you know, the Giants have seagulls swooping in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so your your newsletter, um, and we're going to talk, obviously, Sacramento Rivercats mostly this week. But uh, let's just start with if it would be nice if the Giants weren't bad, which is a factually correct statement. I right. think it is more or less nice when they're not bad. Um, as we limp our way back into the United States, where are we in the bad not bad continuum do you think with the giants the, you know they're pretty close to being not bad since um <laughs> since Hanniger and slater came back they've been they've been decent you know they there have been some ups and downs the mexico city series was not great for them for a number of reasons some of which were beyond their control <laughs> uh but they've been they've been at least entertaining they've been in most of the games and they've they they've been worth watching which is really, which is really the spirit of of the title of my newsletter. It just gets very depressing. I think it would be just be even more depressing if you said it would be nice if the Giants were worth watching. You know, I always get this. You find the 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 folks on Twitter, and I I try not to be the person who's like somebody on the internet is wrong. Um, but there's always these people saying, "Oh, they should just tear everything down and be terrible for five years." I'm like. Do you know what a like soul sucking experience it is to watch that? Who wants to see this? Really? Remember 2017? Do you want four more of those in a row? I don't. It's. I mean, I totally. Even before Hanniger came back, you're like, well, the team will look better when they have all their pieces, and yet the the other weight to the the other yeah weight in the scale on that balance is that. They're a team that intentionally goes out and gets people with checkered injury histories uh, because of the terms that they get from it. Uh, they're an older team. They're probably not a team that we can ever say once they get healthy, once they get fully healthy, things are going to go well, because that's probably not something that's going to happen with this group. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's doubtful. I'll say, I think they are better set up to weather a Mikey Stranskander injury. They were with, Hanniger and Slater, especially with both of them being out, they have more pieces, I think, who can hit right-handers than they had who could hit left-handers. And that's why you saw for those, you know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was, 
you know, just every team finding every mediocre lefty they could, throwing them in the game, and the Giants just not being able to do anything against them. Um, I think that with the depth they have, um, with, you know, obviously Lamont Wade will be playing every day like he has been, but then Brett Wisely should be able to to show up against against righties. Um, they have more pieces that can mix and match. And, you know, it's not like Hanniger's bad against righties either. Right. So with him back for however long he's back until he gets hurt again, <laughs> um, they should still look like a major league team. I mean, Wisely's really becomes a key figure here because not only is he left-handed, but, you know, they think he can play center field, which is interesting. I, you know, I've talked to people in the Tampa Bay Rays system who are really, really high on Brett Wisely. He said, ooh, didn't see that one coming. Um, <laughs> and and there have been some rough outings in Sacramento, but, you know, he's athletic, he's fast. If he can be kind of, yeah, his confidence in center field, that's, that's a big thing because I think what we've seen – in the first month when people weren't healthy is if you get like one or two black holes at the bottom of the lineup, it makes a huge difference with this lineup. Yeah. I mean, we spent several years watching the giants have three or four <laughs> black holes at the bottom of their lineup. So we, we, we've all seen that uh, happen. And I mean, and you've seen it over the last week or two where they've had capable hitters one through nine and you've seen the difference it makes. Right. I mean, that's the whole notion of having a balanced attack is that you can always have somebody good coming to the plate. And as soon as that starts falling apart, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the catching issue being a trouble spot or, you know, David VR having some issues or Brandon Crawford having issues, as soon as you start adding two or three guys together, the Jenga puzzle starts kind of falling down. Well, the reason I specifically asked you to come on here, of course, is uh, you wrote a series of pieces on on your newsletter uh, after you went to the Rivercats Media Day. You talked with a lot of guys on the Rivercats team who either are already part of the Giants puzzle or should probably be part of the Giants puzzle. So I kind of want to go into how Sacramento fits as a depth option for for the Giants this year. Um you know, the last few years, and I, you can talk to this at length, uh, this has not been a real prospect-heavy part of the Giants system. There's been a ton of 4A player in Sacramento kind of churning on and off the roster. This group looks a little more like these are pieces that can start filtering their way up to the, the major league level. Is that how it looks to you? Like this is, we're starting to get some prospects in the upper levels of this system? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when in 2015, which was the first year that Sacramento was uh, was the Giants affiliate, you know, we go out there for opening night. And we're like, all right, opening night, who's pitching? And I see Robert Coelho. <laughs> and we're like, who is that? Uh, and, you know, he was on that team, I think, the whole year. I still don't really know who that was. <laughs> um, and the roster was full of those guys. And it would be the the not just the 4a guys who never made it the majors but the guys who had made it the majors and weren't good enough anymore but the giants were trying to to scrounge a little bit of talent out of them um i think they had they had uh an upton there melvin melvin upton uh upton on their team a little kidding for maybe maybe a couple weeks um and just this just that kind of player several years after they were useful. And then you had the ones you'd never heard of. Uh, and you had your, you know, your, your fun guys, you know, like I like 
you yell Caracudo. But is he ever going to help the major league team? No. And so to have guys on this team who have a chance, even the ones who are struggling, and, you know, we'll get into Will Wilson later, <laughs> but, like, he still has a chance to help the major league team in a significant way, which you just didn't see for years and years and years in Sacramento. Yeah. And then, I mean, this year you've got top 10 guys. You've got former number one guys, current number one guys. There are a lot of prospects in this system. You you mentioned going and and not knowing who the, the, uh, the starting pitcher was. Uh, that's still actually something that probably yes. still happens to Rivercats fans a lot because they don't much use starting pitchers on that team. And they haven't for a couple of years now. It seems they've been fairly bullpenning heavy, even when they have guys that you think might be starters. Like Sean Jelly didn't start a lot last year. And Sam Long kind of was would come and follow an opener. Uh, the beginning of this year, they had uh, Kyle Harrison and Keaton Wynn both there, but they would piggyback tandem and then there'd be like three bullpen games between them. They've now separated those guys and they're both starting. What do you make of kind of, what does the way Sacramento is using their pitchers tell you about what San Francisco is trying to develop? I guess is the question. I mean, it seems like the giants are very in on the trend of um, an opener and a bulk innings guy instead of a traditional starter. And so you see them trying to develop that in Sacramento and it's not working. I mean, there's no real way to sugarcoat that. It, it has not worked yet in the year plus that they've been doing it, um, which is tough to watch. I will also say though, they haven't had any traditional starters. You know, maybe it's that they don't want to go out and sign someone. You know, I mentioned Robert Coelho. Sorry. I, I know you're a big fan, Robert. Of this <laughs> um, you know, they don't want to sign someone like that who's not going to make a contribution to the team. They know is not going to make a contribution to the big league team and who's just there to kind of fill in in AAA. So when you have a certain talent configuration, um, you go out and and adapt your roster accordingly, you adapt your game strategies accordingly. And it seems pretty clear at this point, the Giants don't see Sean Jelly as a major league starter. Yeah, um, They didn't see Sam Long as a major league starter which is probably part of why he's gone now. Uh, and so they're, they're doing their best with what they have. Uh, it's not fun to watch. <laughs> you know, I, and I, I don't know that the, I disagree with them on, on, on some of those evaluations. I mean, the, uh, the first time I saw Sean Jelly was, I don't know, 2019, I guess. And he came out and he was showing 96 in the first inning with a really sharp curve and a good change. And by the third, by the time he got to the end of the lineup one time, everything started to kind of degrade a little bit. And even though he's done a lot of things to kind of, you know, improve that and lengthen himself, that, that profile never really changed. He was still a kind of one, one and a half time through the lineup guy, even at the end of his Richmond career. And I would say in Sacramento. So I don't know that they're wrong in that evaluation of Sean Jelly. He might be a really good reliever. Uh, maybe Sam Long is going to be a good bulk innings guy, but I kind of agree with you. It's like, it's not necessarily the evaluations are wrong, but then what's the next step? Because things are not working very well at that pitching staff right now. And really, guys who should be good look very out of whack. Cole Waits is not, you know, getting strikeouts. RJ Davovich is back on the IL after some real issues. He had an IL issue last year. Everybody just seems sort of out of whack on that staff right right now. And, and maybe... 
that's just early season weirdness. Uh, they have finally gotten to the point where the strikeouts are more than the walks, which, you know, <laughs> note of note of celebration there. Um, you talked, you talked to Cole Waite, who obviously started off the year kind of on a, a tough note because he literally came to camp with hopes of making the major league roster that didn't happen. And now it looks like he's still kind of trying to, to ramp up or get back, catch up to his teammates. Did you get a sense of kind of how far his spring kind of threw him off, off kilter this year? So what he told me was that um, he, his, he was fully back in terms of the stuff, but he was not back in terms of stamina. So he right. said the main, the main thing he had to work on over the first few weeks of the season, and you know this was a month ago, so it's been a bit longer than that, was pitching back-to-back games, getting his arm ready to go multiple times, which is what they need in the big leagues. Um, right. it, it hasn't worked out like that for him. He's uh, one of the, the many guys whose walks are pretty out of control this year. But he said he, he felt fine. He was physically okay at the end of spring. It was just a little bit of a delay in getting him built up enough to be able to contribute every day at the major level. Yeah, and I'm I just as you were talking, I pulled up his game long, and it, he he has not yet thrown a back to back. But in addition, he's just he's he's having some issues. He's had three of his last, I think, six outings where he he has not gotten through an inning. Um, and he said some interesting things too. There was like two outings ago, he threw almost entirely sliders, which was really unusual for him. So there's still some that level of working on some stuff uh, that's going on with him as well as trying to build up. Um, the one guy who they very, very clearly do see as a starter uh, is Kyle Harrison. Uh, and I noticed the other day that, you know, very sneakily, they're not, he's not on the same rotation schedule as most minor leaguers on he's actually on a five-day schedule even though they're very very cautiously building him up too uh he has yet to finish four innings um 21 year old trying to deal with the pcl not an easy thing to do (laughs) he was a guy who had a sort of a weird spring too because he was part of the big league camp and that was exciting for him but as they're trying to prepare for the season he had very little work. I mean, I think he threw three innings uh, with the big league camp and was there for like three weeks. So when, once he kind of got moved over to the minor league, he was really, he was almost as behind schedule as weights just for a different reason. Where did you get a sense that he was in terms of readiness once, once uh, the kind of PCL gong started? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to tell because he was walking so many people that, you the giant the Rivercats couldn't in good conscience let him keep going out there. Yeah. So like it's possible he was as as good to go as anybody as anybody in the minors would have been like good for you know sixty or seventy five and then the next he'd build up another another fifteen pitches and so on. But because he just couldn't throw that many pitches, you know you can't have your prized twenty one year old throw forty five pitches in a in a triple A inning. I mean that's. Every, every front office in baseball would fire their entire <laughs> development staff if that happened. Um, so it's it's really hard to tell how much that set him back. He the impression I got was that again it was in in the big league camp it was pretty much performance based when they when they sent him out he didn't do particularly well in spring training 
you know, I try, when I talked to him, I tried to give him an out, like, oh, <laughs> is your slider a little flat? Because it's in Arizona. He's like, no, nah, I was training in Arizona the whole off season. Like, well, all right. <laughs> I tried. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough to tell with him. He is building it up a little bit more now. And I do also kind of wonder how much of this is strategy on the part of the Giants who are still harboring some kind of postseason dreams, mm-hmm. even through their rough start. And don't want Harrison to put on to, to, you know, throw 140 innings in AAA before he gets the majors this year. So, you know, if he's still on that schedule, they want him to get there without as much mileage on his arm so they can get a little more out of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but it is clear that there's still, you know, yeah. work to be done with the control. You know, one thing that I always say is you, the, the reason you go up the levels is because better competition teaches you what you have to work on. And it was really interesting to me. He had two starts against the, um, the Padres affiliate when Fernando Tatis Jr. was there. And Tatis not only walked every time he faced him in those two starts, I don't think he ever got to like a fifth pitch of an at bat. He's like, these are easy takes for me. It's not like I'm not expanding the zone on you. I'm not going out there. That's a really easy take. Uh, and some of the other guys in the lineup, maybe he could get away with it. But once he faced a major leaguer, it's their knowledge of the strike zone is second to none. And that just kind of shows you the the gap that he now has to get over, you know, and that's why he's in Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously still work to do. Um, and one of the things I always go back to is I remember when Matt Cain was called up, it was a little later in the year than, you know, this is back in 2005. So <laughs> we love to date ourselves here. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, at the end of August, 2005. And one of the things, one of the quotes from, I assume it was Dick Tidrow, uh was it's not that he couldn't have come up earlier it's that once he came up we didn't ever want him to be back in the minors again right and so i assume it's the same thing with kyle harrison that once they want him to be as ready as possible in the minors and then he will do the rest of his development in the majors and not go back down at least that's the plan and you know it's hard to remember this from the point of view where we are of 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 the mature matt kane um who was a real strike thrower when he came up as a 20 year old, he was, he was a, he was a wild gun. I mean, he had a lot of those kind of two hit allowed, but burned through a hundred pitches in five innings kind of outings because he struggled to throw strikes when he was a young kid. And that was something he had to, he had to learn as he went along. And it's hard, it's hard to learn that at the major league level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, another thing people forget about Kane, uh, 2006, they took him out of the rotation for a turn or two. Yeah, they did. He he came back in, I think, because of injury. Uh, I don't remember to who. But, um, you know, he was struggling pretty badly at the beginning of that year. And so they kind of took him out. Worked. So that's also going to be part of a development process. And that's a natural part. That happened to Lincecum, too, in 2007, right? Did, did he go to the bullpen for like a couple of games? Or was he sent to the bullpen and then and somebody got hurt and he had to come back in. I, I feel like he might've had a bullpen stretch I, in I 2007. Remember I remember that with Jonathan Sanchez in 2009. Right. Because um, he was replacing Randy yeah. Johnson when he threw his no hitter. hitter. That's yeah. right. Um, well, let's move over to hitters um, because there's a really interesting group on this team. One of whom you got to see a lot of last year uh, in a very <laughs> interesting year uh and that's elliot ramos who got to spend a little time in the major leagues this year and and since he's come back has actually been hitting some home runs so that's that's nice to see 
he had a, about as rough a year as a guy with his amount of talent could have last year, didn't he? Yeah, it was it was kind of shocking because you know I saw him for a few games at least in in San Jose um, where he looked really good. Uh, you know, I'd seen some highlights of him. I I generally knew about him, and then I saw him last year, and it was like every at bat he had a bad approach, bad results. It wasn't that he had any kind of a bad attitude or any sort of like slumpy shoulders or anything like that, but it just, he would come up and you'd like, what is wrong? I know this guy has more talent than this. Um, it felt like there were a lot of ground balls that he rolled over on just a lot of maybe pitch recognition issues that were kind of surprising. Um, and he's, he's been a lot better this year. And I think even, even though the, the like numbers, the on-field results didn't show it. You saw a much better result, a much better process in San Francisco this year. When he was with the Giants, you could see him hitting the ball hard, yeah. um, way more than he did last year. I, I don't know what changed with him. You know, I I asked him because he didn't have a good spring in the big league camp either. They sent him out almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, because he looked bad. He he was not hitting. And so I asked him and he was like, you know, I, I felt okay about it. I, uh, I think my numbers were, weren't too bad and, you know, I'm not going to contradict him on that, but he also might've been thinking about his numbers in minor league camp where he must have got it going. Um, you know, they don't release numbers in the, for minor league camps as far as I know, but he, um, yeah, he's, he's improved a lot since last year and you can see it in the quality of the bats. You can see it. Uh, and then you can see just in the stat line where he's hitting the ball the way he should have been last year, at least should have been, you know, what you hope from <laughs> him from a, a, a high prospect. Again, development, not linear. At the end of his double A career, I remember when he came back to Richmond, I guess it was 2021, and he had that big spring training camp and everyone was like, oh, bring him up, bring him up. And he came to, to Richmond and the first week was just this, fusillade of, of home runs and then it just like stopped and yeah. it 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 took a few weeks where you're like going man his bats are really bad and he was like he'd get beat by sliders and then he'd get beat by fastballs and he was like you know the classic sort of in between because he was not on time for anything and it just went on and on i'm like wow this is this is really surprising i mean like mentally it seems like he was in a good place this spring it, you know i i always find that kind of fascinating about you know, athletes, because I would like crawl in a little hole, you know, and <laughs> die after one of these games. But these guys just have ways of processing it mentally somehow. So even, you know, coming out of what, what he had hoped was going to be a really big year for him and turned into a really disappointing year, that didn't seem to carry from 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 what I read from you you're talking with him. He was he was feeling okay about the year he had right here last year, right? Yeah, he he came, he had plenty of confidence. It wasn't arrogance, it was just a really simple belief in himself that he could do it. And, you know, maybe that just comes from a lifetime of always being the best one on the team. Yeah. So like, not to say you never have an over four day, but if you do, then, you know, when you're a kid, when you're the best guy in your town in your little league, right. You're then going to go three for four with a couple homers the next day. So, I mean, that's not to say you expect that exact result as a pro, but sort of that confidence and that belief that you can rebound like that. That's probably something that um, that he's that he and 
basically every other professional has carried with them their whole lives. I wouldn't know because I was terrible. At these <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, and it's gotta be a help to, as he, he, I think talks about sometimes too, to have, you know, a brother who had like an 18 year career, to, you know, yeah. to get to the majors and you're still out there playing and have another brother who's a professional soccer player, you know, that he really does understand the kind of ebbs and flows and trials and tribulations. And it doesn't seem to be, gives himself time, gives himself the luxury of time to actually develop, which is, which is good to see from someone his age. And uh, yeah. And again, he's just 23. Like yeah. that's still pretty young, even, and, even as long as he's been around. Yeah. Um, he still has time. And he's oozing with talent. I mean, one of the games yesterday, he, you know, he homers, he doubles, he steals a base, he makes an amazing running play out there. He can still do everything on the base field field that, that you want to see done. Uh, it's really just a matter of, you know, making more contact, which he's been doing this year, and better contact, which he's been doing this year. Um, another guy on the team who fans are extremely excited to see Um I, almost I think too excited sometimes that fans are like let's just you know forget development get him up here um it's Casey Schmidt uh and once they get him they are gonna love him because he, he he has a real kind of lovable goofball sort of personality I think um yeah you, you wrote about him that basically one of the questions you asked is who's your funniest teammate and and literally everybody on the team said Casey yes. Schmidt um the the best part was so the the local, I think CBS station was doing interviews and like when they, you know, so they talked to Keaton Wynn, okay, fine. They talked to Tanner Andrews, okay, fine. You know, when they talked to Casey Schmidt, literally everyone in the room would just kind of give him this like side, like, what's he going to say? <laughs> so, and then he was really like calm and normal during the entire interview, which must have been a disappointment. <laughs> when he was on Eugene last year, I, I was talking you know eugene had this just unbelievable streak of horrible horrible weather weather to start the year it was just cold and raining every day for like five weeks and everybody i talked to is like oh how did you deal with that and they all you know give me the professional answer well you know you just realize that you got to go out and do your best and try and put the things aside blah 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 blah. and uh casey's like oh it's great it was like a slip and slide out there on the turf you could like go and jump on your stomach and slide across the field it was a lot of fun i'm like yeah okay Okay, Casey. Um, but one of the things that's really kind of shocked me about Schmidt this year is, I mean, last year a lot of people asked me, "Do you think he can be a shortstop?" And I'm like, you know, playing shortstop in the in a ball doesn't necessarily mean you can do it, but I think maybe he can do it. I mean, he he legitimately looks good out there. Yeah, he's he's gotten good reviews from everyone at shortstop. You know, it, you don't. Nobody talked about him as a shortstop before this year, I think. Yeah. Like it was always, you know, he's a plus, he's a good defender at third base. You can, you know, you can rely on, on him out there. He is, he could be really, really good one day, even in the major. And you're like, all right. And then the Giants like, well, why not just uh, throw him a shortstop? <laughs> you know, the, hard, the hardest position on the infield. Let's see if, and he's, he's done well. Um, you saw it in the spring games. You've been seeing it this year in the minors, in the, the in Sacramento's games. He's, he's been a really capable shortstop. It's been very impressive. Um, and, you know, his, his hitting has been, you know, he's hitting a pretty empty 300, but if you have a shortstop, a major league shortstop club, you can get away with a little less offense, which is what has been happening. Yeah. I mean, it makes a big difference because the question scouts had at him with third bases, is there going to be enough power 
to profile on the corner. Well, if he's not on the corner, that makes a big difference. And yeah, it's an empty 300 he's hitting right now, but he can hit. He does have a hit tool. He's, it's it's not always been the kind of power you want to see, but I don't think people doubt that he can put the bat on the ball. Yeah, and it's, you know, without, you know, and I think he'll eventually take his share of walks too, but if he doesn't have the the 25 homer season, then, you know, that's a much different profile at third and at short. That's right. much, much more playable. Right. Because kind of a profile that he reminds me a little bit of might be somebody like Tyro Estrada. Like there's a similar kind of hitter in, in those two guys. Um, well, I, I see uh, Zoom is, is yelling at me again and telling me I'm running out of time. So y- you talked a little bit about uh, Will Wilson's struggles. Will really is having a, a struggle with his his first stretch of AAA. Um, you talked to him before the year, too. He got a little taste. He started to get a, a promotion last year, and it lasted like six days. Uh, and then he was gone again for the rest of the year because he, he broke his hamate bone. How did he feel coming into the year uh, when you spoke with him? He, you know, he said he was feeling good. He'd, um, he'd had a strong spring and in his mind, he was like, you know, this is the kind of player that I can be when I'm healthy. Um, and he thought not necessarily he was proving it to himself, but he was kind of proving it to anyone out there who might doubt him, including, you know, possibly in the front office. He's been, he's had kind of a checkered injury history. And that's, that's a tough one when you're a young player trying to establish yourself, when you just keep getting hit after hit, um, and you know it happened last year, and as far as I know, he's healthy-ish this year, uh, and he hasn't quite had the the performance yet. But he he was confident coming out of spring because it was a it was a good spring for him too. The thing, so I saw him in twenty twenty one, and then he came back in twenty twenty two, and the thing that jumped out of me that really had advanced there was he was much more patient of the plate. He wasn't chasing as much. He was taking his walks that sort of carried over for him this year. Uh, and he has good power. It's really been, you know, cutting down the strikeouts and putting balls in play with more authority. Um, just looking actually at his career, he has a career 235 batting average, which is, is sort of the weak link of his offensive profile. And that's, that's the thing that's going to get, get him if he, if he doesn't get it fixed, uh, and in, in the next few years, well, let's let's end on this sort of big picture. There's a whole segment of the Giants fandom that's like, "What's wrong with the Giants farm system?" Blah 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 blah. I look at this and I see an organization that has gotten talent into the upper minors really for the first time in many 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 years, and not just a player here and a player there, but like groups of usable major league players of all stripes uh, and potential production. Is that how you're seeing it this year as a, as a person who's been going to Sacramento for a while, is this an improving farm system and in, in the upper minors? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just a team that for the first time in a long time has a lot of homegrown players that you can root for. Um, it, it gets, not that there's anything against Jason Bossler, you know, <laughs> Um, but you'd Very rather nice have Will Wilson put up the Jason Bosser numbers than yeah. someone from outside the organization. Um, and so to see that it's been, it's been encouraging, you know, obviously Will Wilson struggling, right? There's guys who are going to struggle. There's always going to be guys who struggle. Uh, but you want those guys to be your own guys. You want them to be ones that 
have been in the system the whole time. They're easier to root for. They're there's more of a chance they're going to stick around. I mean, from the fan perspective, you want guys who are going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so in Sacramento before, it would be like, well, this guy's here for a year, and then he's going to be gone, uh, and then we're going to get a new one. And so you know, it was fine, but it it wasn't quite the 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 experience that you want. And you get with with what they have now. Not only are you getting you know a more fun and a more kind of sustainable experience but you're also getting better prospects you're getting guys who could be in the majors for years at a time you're getting guys who could be the next joe panic right and that's that's what you want both on field and also emotionally you want to be able to root for these guys for a really long time and it's 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 not just the kyle harrison and and casey schmidt and now patrick bailey uh you know look at that bullpen you've got you co-weight you've got chris wright ryan walker i mean Shane Matheny on the bench, right? Ricardo Henevis. It's 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 like yeah. every level of the roster, really. Um, Ryan Walker was at media day, and I didn't ask him anything because I was just like trying to write down a question. I was like, "Your stuff is really good," and that that was all I had. I was like, "That's not a question." It's. <laughs> I mean, I just enjoy watching him because you can see how freaked out right-handed hitters are when they when they face him, especially as he started throwing like '96 and '97. Um, I can't wait to see him in a bullpen with Tyler Rogers at some point. <laughs> uh, well, Doug, before we leave, you know, you've got you've got a Substack letter, you've got a podcast. Where can people hear all the Doug Brazzoni content they need uh, for their <laughs> lives? Uh, so my newsletter is at giantsdug.substack.com. Very easy to, to type into your little search bar there. Please do uh, like and subscribe. And then the podcast is called Giants Croncast. We are affiliated with Fans First Sports Network uh, ever since a certain other network fired us for the second time. Well, and, not, uh, not to be named. Not yeah. to be named. Um, and we release new episodes every Monday where we go over the previous week and whatever the issues are of the day uh, that are affecting the Giants and baseball in general. And they are delightful, you and, and another friend of ours, Brian, of course. Uh, and, and, and hey, I suppose we're supposed to be hanging out on Notes, the new Substack uh, uh, <laughs> thing that is very much not Twitter. Uh, not but, Twitter uh, at all. Kind of kind of something. Um, so come find us there, all you subscribers. We, we can be found, I'm sure, on Notes uh, weighing in with our thoughts of the day uh doug thanks so much for joining me i uh, i can't wait to to read all your stuff and chat with you more uh, about the the sacramento group as they get going uh and for all my followers you can of course subscribe to my work at thereagiants.com uh to get much much more of me um many thousands of words that i'm constantly spilling out thanks everyone for listening and thanks doug for being here thanks for having me